Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. It's fantastic to have you wherever you're listening from, whatever you're doing. Um, I pray that this will be something that is going to impact you, encourage you, that perhaps will give you clarity around what you're doing right now and what God's doing where you're at, that perhaps it will provide strength and encouragement for you to continue to do the things that God has got for you, but also maybe some new insights, some new uh, strategies from heaven that are going to unlock something new for you. I can dare to uh, say that I, I, I prayed a big prayer like that for you because I'm praying it for myself as a fellow leader, as a co-leader with you who's so dependent upon the Holy Spirit and knows that apart from him we can do nothing. And at the same time, because I'm excited to be able to welcome our guest today, Julian Richards, he's somebody that I've uh, known of for quite some time, but only really got to know uh, recently. I was actually at a wedding a little while ago down in Wales, in South Wales, and uh, Julian's wife, Sarah, was leading that wedding of a friend of ours, a guy who used to live with us, and uh, she just did a brilliant job of, uh, of leading and speaking and everything. In fact, it was his daughter who, 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 who spoke at the wedding. And um, and then that we got to meet one another later on at the wedding reception, and I found out that Julia is the national leader of New Wine Cymru. Nineteen ninety one, he founded Cornerstone Church in Swansea with Sarah and five young people in one of the most deprived areas of that city. And today, that work has grown out um, and helped to plant many other churches. Where me, where me, we met was in uh, venue two which is a former supermarket and uh, is a second site for Cornerstone, which is a great um, building to meet in. And also uh, there's so many things that they're doing that uh, I could describe it as a high-impact church that is helping the lost found Jesus, maturing disciples, and at the same time making a massive uh, impact in different ways in so many communities across Wales, um, there's just so many things we could talk about to do with that, and I hope we will get to scratch the surface at least of some of those. But for now, welcome, Julian. Well, it's very pleased. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Anthony. That was a fantastic introduction. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, great stuff. So, I mean, I really felt um, that when we met, it was one of those strange, oh, man, I can feel the Holy Spirit is doing something here, that you know, we kind of have a, a similar kind of spirit. I think you're somebody that I could learn a lot from in terms of the way that the Lord has, has, has used you. You know, you started out there, I just started out by saying, uh, you started out small. You started, you know, everything that's, that's, I suppose, many things in the kingdom that are great started out small, started out with just you and your family reaching out. We live in a time, I think, perhaps when anybody who's going to get into ministry, perhaps, whatever you, you might call it, whether that's some sort of form of, of, a, of a, a new charity, or we tend to look for something big to be a part of rather than something. And then there's a security with that that we feel that, you know, if, that, you know I can then, uh, you know, if I, if I join, you know, you're non-denominational, I join a denomination and then I'm going to get a house, I'm going to get a pension scheme, I'm going to get a salary, Etc. Um, you know, I'm not sure that that's often where people may get started when they're young and they want to serve the law. But but sometimes those things that that we think will free us up for ministry can can actually um, restrict us in being able to do the things the Lord wants because of, of we've got an earthbound security which can help which can tie us up from a heavenbound. What were you doing before 
uh, and I really don't know the answer to this question. You said let's start something. Um, there's just a handful of us somewhere where I wouldn't imagine the money was great, and the, the, there wasn't a, a great deal of security from an earthly perspective. What we, what do you? What's the story behind that? That kind of set you off on the trajectory, which became Cornerstone. Well, we were helping as an assembly of God Church in the city in the city of Swansea. Um, it was a struggling church. We were, we were youth pastors of Hereford before that, and God called us to Swansea. I won't go into the details just for the sake of time, but we end up in this little AOG church with 12 elderly people that had had uh, better days, and uh, it was falling apart, and we ended up in Swansea, and we just knew for a period of time God wanted us to be there. And again, that was a very small church. It was a restart. And uh, they didn't have any money. We're talking about finances or whatever. You just said, I think I started on £35 a week. Uh, and we were renting, and the housing benefit paid for it. Uh, and it was falling apart. And the church, within three months, around about 30 people came to Christ. Uh, it was a prophetic word saying, I'm going to uh, uh, bring families into the church and uh, bring people to Christ. This lady turned up. I was 27. She was 40. Somebody had knocked on her door and shared Jesus with us. She became a Christian and said, you've got to find a church. And I don't know how she found where we live because it was quite a way away. She was one of the uh, estates of the city. And uh, she said, I've just become a Christian. And I said, well, uh, could I do a nurture course with you before the days of Alpha? And uh, she said, yes, and I turned up, and her, sister, uh, her daughter was there, and her son was there, and her daughter brought a friend, and her husband was there, and her mum was there on a Thursday night. And they, after the first session, they all became Christians, and then they invited their friends, and over about three months, you know, 30 people came to Christ, and there was a young family. Uh, as a, You know, the church began to grow, and within two years, we moved from about 12 people to around about 70 people with younger people and a number of people come into Christ. And then I'm looking outside of my front window of the house that we were renting, still only earning only earning £35 a week and being paid for by housing benefit, and somebody put a for sale sign on the house, and I felt the Lord say to me, now's the time to buy a house. And I turned to and turned to my wife Sarah, and I said, "I think we've got to buy a house." And this was on the back of, we felt the Lord speak to us prophetically. We were in Hereford, that God would give us a house, and He would bless people there, and it would be a turning point in our ministry. Um, and we never thought we'd be able to be able to afford one because we we always lived by faith type thing, you know. And um, we went to see a man about a mortgage, and he looked at our finance. And he says, "You wouldn't get a mortgage on a garage." Uh, but um, he says he was a Christian he says um, uh, you pray and I'll do some asking anyway a long story came to short uh, long story short we looked at houses not what we could afford but what we could um, uh, what would be suitable for the next stage of our journey we walked to this one house in the other part of the city and we just knew that God wanted us to buy it even though we couldn't afford it we um, we made an offer, a ridiculous offer. We got it, and in the period of time of having to raise money, finance just came in miraculously in a very short period of time. It was quite remarkable, and so we were able to buy the house. 
and we planted a church in that area because the prophetic word and what God was doing was like all lined up that we had said, no, God wants us to start a branded church plant. Um, having done our work with the other one, taking it from 12 to 70, and we started a church with a few new disciples between 18 and 23 uh, with um, our first offering again was about 30 quid, and that's how we started in our front room and grew it in a locally deprived area, high crime, high teenage pregnancy rate. We got burgled about 16 times. It was hard. We couldn't eat every day. Often we would fast for, I mean, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, I think was the longest, so we could feed our children and pay our bills uh, just so that we could get by because we couldn't do it all. And it was a missional model of church in a difficult area saying we're going to grow this thing through serving and loving people, winning people to Christ, and 30 years later, we're in a different place. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I have conversations. I've been having quite a few this year, and some of those have been with leaders in established churches, shall we say. And some of them are in a quandary, really, because perhaps they feel that whether locally uh, in the church that they're trying to lead or denominationally, if they're in a denomination or whatever, that uh, perhaps they're no longer in what they signed up for. And yet they feel, and this comes across, and maybe they're not actually voicing it in these terms, but you know, but you don't have to scratch under the surface very much to feel that actually they, you know, maybe this is somebody who's listening to this. Uh, well, it might not be great, but I've got a house and I've got kids and I've got um, responsibilities and what else? You know, could I do? And and you know, if I didn't do this, you know, I can't go back to being a teacher. Or I can't go back to you know because the curriculum. I don't even know what they'd be teaching or whatever it is, and and all of those is is uh, it, you know, it's hard, isn't it? And it's you know, it, it, but but to effectively, I just say to people like that, and it, you know, listening to Julian's story, and I could reflect a little bit on it my own in the past. You know, we've got to maybe get back to when we what we were first called into here. And that was to, you know, Jesus saying, um, you know, foxes uh, have got holes and the birds of the, the the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And if we're going to follow him, maybe there will be tough times and maybe we'll have to see his provision. But, you know, I know that, that uh, there's been times in the past when, you know, if the Lord's calling you into something, then he's going to provide. And you can see from what you're saying that that he gave you what you needed, even if you needed to learn to fast. <laughs> Etc. Yeah, yeah. I can remember Sarah coming in one day after we hadn't eaten for quite a while. <laughs> so I've had enough of this. You know, this is getting really hard. And I, and, I, and I said, Sarah, do we have air in our lungs? And she said, Yes. Are we healthy? Because we're we're young, you know. So we health we ill because you know we haven't eaten for a while. No. Uh, are our children suffering because they were young and they didn't know they were okay? They were. Mm. Uh, are we in debt? We're never in debt. We just don't have enough money to buy, like, eat every day or four times a day. Um, and so it's so God has still provided, isn't he? It's just he's reorientating our, our expectation of maybe living in a comfortable Western world and what everybody else gets, that we, yeah. we should have this certain standard. And so, so we just carried on like that. And um, now things are different now, you know, it's it's not like it is. There's different challenges and there are different sacrifices and there are different faith challenges, like the building that you just mentioned when 
we saw that that supermarket there and we needed a new building and it was up for sale, that was a faith challenge for us. Um, so it's different challenges and different um, uh, scary bits. Yeah. <laughs> but but what the said, principles the same. Yeah. I once heard somebody say um, that it's like, uh, you know, when they went in to enter the land, Caleb, um, Joshua and Caleb have a different spirit and uh, say, you know, the giants will be bred for us. And this idea that actually the giant that you face and you get this this time becomes the bread for the next one. So the fact that God provided, you know, I can think of times, again, looking back at it, I remember our daughter Hannah at one point, Zoe was out in a cafe with her and decided maybe we've got enough money that we can get a coffee. Uh, I can get, you know, what she wouldn't drink coffee. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get a little bun or something for Hannah and just to treat her. And then when and then a lady came over and paid for it for Zoe because Hannah had gone off as a little girl and it, and had said to her, um, "Oh yes, we like it. We like living here, but we're poor." <laughs> and it's because she, you know they're like, "No, no, we're not poor." And anyway, again, they didn't want for anything. But actually, what what we've left with our kids, maybe they've not got everything that their friends had in terms of all of the things they might have wanted to be able to buy in the shops and all of those kind of things. But what they've seen is parents who trusted God and that God provided. And, you know, again, I'm just uh, trying to encourage maybe some people that in, in crucial times like this, our, te- our faith is really being tested. And maybe this is the time, you know, if, if, we're, if we're saying that, well, I believe in the future, God has got something great for the church and that the, the days of the future church that are going to be so much greater and better. Maybe we, these now is the time to learn the hard faith lessons if we've not already learned them about how God can be can provide in our hard times. And if we've never given him opportunity to do that because we've never actually, we've protected ourselves from those hard times. We're actually in danger of inoculating ourselves in some way so that we'll, we won't be able to believe him for the supermarket to buy that because we couldn't believe him that he could provide on our weekly necessities from a supermarket when we didn't have any money. You know, these are the faith tests, I suppose. Yeah, we, we, we're not born in, into the kingdom with a big, like a um, uh, suitcase full of faith, we're, we're given a seed, uh, and and then we cultivate everything in, in the kingdom of God, isn't it? You're faithful with a little, then it grows, and you cultivate, and you mature it. And I remember one of the very first things that Sarah and I had to trust God for when we first got married, and we we were living by faith, you know. Uh, was I think I think it was twenty or twenty seven pound or something like that. I can't remember exactly because we needed a a, a new duvet, pillowcase, all that type of thing, because he only had one, and when it was in the wash, we, <laughs> we didn't have anything to change it. And we prayed, and that and that was, it was provided for, and the money came in for it. Now, then we had to believe God for a car, and then for petrol in the car, and then the rent. But all these incremental things, how God is faithful over the years, builds you up to a place that when there's a challenge like, oh, let's go for this supermarket, I mean, I, I think I would have been under, a, I wouldn't have slept at night if I hadn't have gone through those years of believing for the little things. And it, and it develops your character and, and your faith. And I, I often reflect upon the fact that, and we don't often do this, I don't think we do it in our theological training and training for ministry. Jesus spent a lot of time developing the disciples' faith. He sent them out two by two. He says, don't take a purse and don't take an extra shirt. 
you know, trust me for it, a lot of his miracles that he performed after it, he was challenging the disciples' faith, the ones who were going into the ministry. He, he, we don't often see him challenging the people's faith who were the recipients of the ministry, but he challenged down to the boots the ones who were going to do the ministry. Yeah. Um, and I I think that, that when I went to theological college, Bible college, and what have you, I, I, I learned about the faith, the doctrines of the faith, having grounded faith, but I can't really remember having much mentoring and nurturing and preparation for ministry around my personal faith. Yeah. Yeah, and that is the currency of heaven. You know, Andy Hawthorne, a great mate of mine, you know, he says that actually in many ways he did a thing some years ago that he's the average man. And they did, there was this thing in the Daily Mirror or something, or the Sun, and it was like the average British man. And at the time, he was the average age. His marital situation was the average for the thing. He was on the average wage. He drove the average car, lived in the average house. Ticks every one of these boxes. And he said, you know what? In every way, I'm average, apart from this, faith. And the reason that the message has become this worldwide phenomenon, not just something that's in here in Manchester... I think, you know, in large part, it's down to my mate Andy's faith. He's just somebody, as you round him, it rubs off. You know, he no matter what, you know, I can't have a conversation with Andy and come away without thinking 10 times bigger than I walked in the room with because that's the kind of person he is. And again, you know, he'll often just say to me, and I think, you know, that's his favourite verse, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And I don't think we're talking about living, having yachts in France or anything like that. No, no, it's all. It's just... Believing for the next stage of our journey in obedience to God, you know, um, we, I, I love that little phrase. In one sense, I know it has. It, it, I've been called to the Paul says we've called the Gentiles to the to the obedience of faith, you know. Yeah. And there's this obedience that comes from faith. Yeah, in fact, Hebrews eleven. Uh, I've always said this uh, in Hebrews eleven, where they were stoned and martyred and boiled in oil and outcast and of society and persecuted, it says, and they did all this by faith. It wasn't willpower. Mm. Their obedience and ability to persevere and suffer was not willpower. It's yes. this deposit of God that comes through the development and the purification of our faith. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 a wonderful thing. Yeah. And in the end, the question is then, what does the Lord want me to do? And if if you know, I just say, I believe it, that where he guides, he provides. And, the, the, you know, ultimately, you know, we've got to be willing to, to listen to what it is that he's saying and do that. And then we can build something, you know, that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you've sent me the the draft version of, of a book that you're writing at the moment, which is, uh, in a way, the way I sort of perceived it from what we've, you know, you, you've told me a little bit about it, it's... It's that, um, you know, often we might perceive faith as the thing that brings about some great revival, but actually what's more impactful even than that would be where we move towards something that's sustainably, supernaturally natural for the kingdom of God being at work in a in a nation and through the church, etc. And obviously you're there in Wales, which is, you know, known as in a sense the land of the revival, and yet you're... You know, you're not. I don't think you're arguing against revival, but you're saying there's something, something more than that that we can be 
um, you know, looking to live in as as churches. And it starts, I think, with the personal faith. It has to start there with that. Sense. But you know, how do we then move from uh, asking the Lord uh, help my unbelief and growing our faith? But then, how can we be part of something? Um, as you know, whatever this looks like, and I know there are people who listen to the podcast who aren't all church leaders, but but whereby we can be used by God in greater ways than our just not Him, please Lord, drop down a revival from above, but in some way me be part of of something that is about the King and the Kingdom that that only He could do. Um. Well, everything we do, I think, needs to be prompted by our faith. You know, we do walk by faith, and I think faith is one of the key components when we're discerning the will of God. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. Uh, when people say to me, oh, I really, I'm just wondering whether I should do this, I say, well, do you have faith for it? And discerning the difference between optimism and hope is faith, and also knowing our motives as well. Uh, you know, we, we, we can want to do something, and we do it, but it's not necessary we've got faith for it, it's because it's attractive, we want to do it. And so there, I think there has to be a kind of self-awareness and, and brutal self-honesty that we, that we actually don't do the things necessary because we are driven by an ambition, a desire, an opportunity, but there is this conviction of faith that out, um, this is about obedience for me. And I'm doing this out of obedience. I, I, I don't serve God, and I'm not here 30... You know, I, I've been in ministry now, I think, in 1982 I was called, so it's quite a while. Um, I, I haven't walked that walk and stayed in ministry um, because of desire. I've done it by obedience. And but that obedience has come out of conviction of faith. That God exists. God's there was a time when I really wanted to give up Cornerstone Church planting it because it was really, really, really hard in the early years. And I'm quite a resilient person. I came to the end of my own ability and own power and own strength. And I kind of came to this like almost like rock bottom, as you say. But the rock that I came rock bottom was two things. Christ is real and he's called me to build this church. And it was this conviction that he's real and he's called me that enabled me to stand up in weakness on my knees, <laughs> from my knees again. And then that was at the point we actually almost saw a turnaround when we came to the end of ourselves that we cannot do this with all of our strategy schemes and, you know, whatever gifting we felt we may or may not have. Um, but another aspect of it, so there's this aspect of discerning faith and then just being obedient and marrying courage with it. Um, there has to be like the courage married to the faith that produces the activity. So we have seen so many people healed across the nation of Wales over the last 20 or so years. We see it regularly in, in our own church. Um, and we see it uh, more so outside of the church with people who aren't of faith, non-Christians, as we're praying for them. And um, they they often get healed. But the only reason they get healed is because we pray for them. And the only we, reason we pray for them is because we uh, overcome our fear to take a risk. And what drives us to overcome our fear to take a risk to offer prayer, whether it's at the gym or the supermarket or in the workplace or wherever it is, is this faith <laughs> that God 
can and wants to touch people's lives. And faith produces the courage. And then you have to put fear in the faith and just do it anyway. And that's when you find yourself used by God, whether it's in a small miracle that's taken place in in Tesco's, with somebody who's limping along with a stick and now they're healed, or whether you're planting a church with nothing, or taking on a new church which is beyond your capacity or competency in your mind to be able to lead, what causes you to do it is faith, but it takes courage as well. And without the courage and the obedience and the activation, you don't get, you don't get the fruits of faith. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's like the uh, courage is the the spark, I suppose, that ignites the faith, isn't it? The faith could be like I mean, I've got this picture of a man like gunpowder, the faith, but without the courage, you you haven't really got anything to ignite it. You've got to make it, turn it into action. And I remember hearing first time I met Sarah, I didn't meet her. I heard her speaking at an event a few years ago, and she was talking then about. A, a, well, a prayer and evangelism movement that was really coming out across Wales, and the the the, the openness. This was pre-COVID to um to, to the to faith in Jesus and people talking about Jesus. And and again, we can look at uh, I, I I go to North Wales quite a bit, and sometimes you know I feel a bit sad as I look around and feel like you know there's an empty chapel here and all these kind of churches. But out on the streets, what's the what are you seeing in your nation? Despite you know, people would point to the, the, perhaps some of the churches that are closed down in Wales. But is that what what are you seeing um, in terms of the, the openness to people to know about Christianity? Is that continuing? Since you know, I say that was yeah, I heard about that before. But as like, what's 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 made a difference these days? What's it like these days where you, where you're at? There is a greater spiritual openness than we have known in living memory. Uh, it is absolutely astonishing how open people are to spiritual things. When we started our church in the 90s, if we told somebody you're a Christian, people would kind of take a step back. Uh, and you, they, they'd almost, you know, they did shirk a bit. Um, and there was a, a low-level closeness or hardness or hostility you know i mean when we first started our church in our home somebody walked up the garden and slashed the window you know from hearing the singing um so but now if you say you're a christian you offer people prayer because they're going through a hard time or they're sick or in pain um they will always nearly always say yes and they are always grateful and so we are seeing overwhelming openness and when we went and talked to people mobilized uh, the whole uh, network of new wine cumbria across uh, wales to do to go out onto the streets and share our faith with jesus and pray for them to uh, to be healed and uh, invite them to receive christ after hearing about the gospel we went out for nine days one hour a day for nine days and three thousand seven hundred people uh, prayed the prayer of salvation Wow. Come on. Nine days, yeah. one hour a day across Wales. And this was little villages. This was towns. This was cities. Mm. And and we took the stats and we, we, we love statistics. You know, we measured everything. And and it doesn't matter where, where you were, uh, the, the response amongst the old and, and the young was the same. In fact, I think uh, 52% of the people who responded were male. And... Uh, 
very, very people, few people said aggressively no. Much, much, much more people than responded to salvation listened to what we had and allowed us to pray for them. And then 3,700 uh, prayed the prayer of salvation. And we encouraged churches to do that in their own rhythm uh, after this intense weekend. Uh, I think within the next 18 months, two years, the stats went up to about 5,000 people. And the openness is the same. It's a, now, it doesn't mean they're all coming into churches because what we have discovered is that they like Christians, but they don't necessarily like institutions. So people love the NHS staff, but they're not necessarily, they've lost trust in the NHS. And so so when we talk to people about Christ as individuals or our friends and colleagues or face-to-face, they respond very openness to the individual. But when you talk about, oh, will you come to this group, will you come to this, there's a mistrust or a poverty of trust regarding institution. And they see church as an institution. It's not that they hate church. But there's an inbuilt and cultural distrust of institutions because whether it's politics, whether it's the NHS, whether it's the banking system, there was a time when bankers were respected. It doesn't matter what institution, there is a built in suspicion and mistrust now. So it doesn't matter if people are flocking into our churches, and that's why we need to change our model of ministry on how we actually disciple these responders to Christ because we're just expecting them to come up to what they consider our mistrusted institution. It's not going to happen. We need a different model of mission and community discipleship building. Yeah, yeah. So, again, what, how does the church change? What would be the, the you know, is it uh, the structures that will facilitate this? Because I'm speaking here, listening to you as a church leader, we, uh, the fields are white unto harvest. The laborers are few. Uh, at the same time, you know what? What can we do so that we don't just get somebody who wants had a, somebody nice pray a prayer for them and say yes, but they and they actually come into the fullness. So you know we have you know the, the, for me the I'm, I'm connecting in with a great ministry in the US right now, um, uh, uh, living on the edge, and they say a high impact church is the lost are being found. Disciples are maturing, and the church is meeting some of the deepest needs in its community. And I'm, I'll, I'll probably talk about that a little bit more. I might even do a podcast on my own one of these days about that. But um, where, what, how does the church change from what was and what is, and where are, you, where are you, you know, where, where, what, how are you seeing it change for for, for the better, um, so that we can better facilitate actually, again, not just having. The revival. You just talked about five thousand people praying a prayer of Jesus. In some ways, that sounds like a revival, even across the course of a year. Whether it's a day or a year, it's a lot in a year. How do we um, actually translate that so we don't just have the revival, but we have something sustainable and, and movement yeah. discipleship? Well, there's a couple of things you know I've been reflecting on, and how much value there is in those reflections. <laughs> Let you be the judge. But I think in terms of people responding individually if they if you if you're a local church and, and and you share the gospel with your friend and you're trusted and you know um there's more chance that that person will come along to your church because they probably will have met your friends and there's a relational connection so there's sort of the the mistrust of the institution isn't so strong it's not so you know powerful 
And so high, a high relational community church. So if I bring my next door neighbor, if I leave my next door neighbor to Christ and he knows me, he's also met some of my friends from church, there's a good chance they're going to come along to something. And the guys down at the gym who I invite, they come along because they know me and they trust me. But if it's a cold contact, they're not just going to come up to a course or something. And that's the difference. But there's, a, there's masses and masses and masses of people beyond the doorstep of our church relationships and systems who are open to Christ, and those are the ones who we need to be able to respond to. So that they're not going to be just be gravitating even into an alpha course, you know, if they see this an institution. But if it's a relational relationship, yes. So, so the other thing is, um, let's take this. This go back to how this church, first church, we were helping started, and I've had this a number of times. This lady gets saved, and I said, can I do something in your home with your friend? And and so they, they took me into her community. I didn't take them into mine. And when I nurtured her into her community and her family and her friends, it grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And grew. Every week it was growing. My big mistake, if I'm honest with you, my big mistake was when it got to about 30, you couldn't get any more in the room. I said, oh, Maybe you should come to our church now. And I exported them from their community into our church community in a different course of time. And that's when we began to lose people over the course of time. Yeah. And I've seen this happen a few times. So what Paul did, he didn't he didn't actually church plant as we often do today, where you take a group of people and you transplant them into a community. He went, he shared the gospel like on the streets or whatever, he nurtured them where they were in their community, in their family groups, and he built church with new con. He he didn't say, now you become a Christian, come to the synagogue. You know, he, he actually nurtured the twos and threes that he led to Christ in their context and in their culture and in their community, and it became a redeemed person in the community, but a group within the community that had the power to redeem the community and the culture. So I think there's two kinds of models, a high relational model, where I know you, you come along, and there's more traction in that, but where it's meeting people we don't know, who are cold contacts, so to speak, the masses out there, I think we have to be able to church plant and creates community and nurture groups and nurturing relationships where they are in their street. Stop thinking about bringing them to us. That's it. That's how Paul did it. Yeah, so it, it's not about come to church. It's, it's be church and be a ecclesia and be an oikos and those kind of things, which, again, you know, I mean, for some people listening, that'll be familiar language, but just to explain it, the oikos... Is the is the network of relationships and the ecclesia is there something that's bigger that you know we can only do when there's perhaps more of us together we can start to do some projects together that are going to really make a mark on our town village or city and something wider and neither of those they're both they're both ways of being church but they're not necessarily institutional. Um, I mean I'm I'm, in, I'm interested again in Wales I pray you know I go to Wales quite a lot. And, pray for the nation there um uh, I, i'm sure there's you know one of so there'll be some people in the church in wales in the denominational structures that are valiantly doing their best in there etc at the same time it's 
at the same time, it's become more and more, it seems, a liberalised kind of denomination. Um, and together with many others like that, it seems to be certainly, I don't know all the figures, but on a rapid decline. Um, and yeah, at the same time, though, you know, through New Wine, uh, New Wine Cymru, I don't, it doesn't sound to me as if you're on the same trajectory as that. What's happening that's different um, in some of the churches that are connecting with New Wine Cymru? And perhaps you could just tell us what does that look like? Because it sounds to me this sort of thing. If we can, it sounds like a uh, a network that people are part of, but they're not in any way controlled by. It's not a denomination. It's something that enables people to uh, be part of something that encourages their missional endeavours. When did you get connected to that? How is it different from New Wine in England, which I'm personally more uh, aware of? And um, and and how does that work in ways that um, you know are helping there in Wales? Lots of questions there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, New Wine, New Wine, Cumbria, New Mike, Wales, or Wales um, used to operate similar to New Wine England in the sense of it had a festival. Um, but for us, for us in Wales, uh, a group of us who were connected together as leaders realised that. If we're really going to win our nation, we need to develop leaders to build healthy churches that do mission well. And we, and whilst we celebrated the festival that we had once a year, where people would come, that wasn't going to be we weren't, that wasn't the vehicle that was going to get to do that. So we we actually said we can't do both well. We either are we, we are we an event movement or we're a leadership and church movement. And we decided to become a leadership and church. So we changed our model and and so we stopped doing the festival and we began to work with leaders to actually say let's work together and we there was a couple of understanding we realized that uh, we were all failing no even great churches were doing well we were none of us were doing very well or nobody's doing very well and that and nobody had what it took as a church or as a leader or a ministry or denomination to win our nation and we had an, and we felt called that God wanted to do something again in our nation. And we asked this question: What if we, what if we humbled ourselves to come together and acknowledge that none of us are doing very well, but God has? We're the only people that God has got, and therefore we understood that He does has given us the grace and the wisdom to get the job done. But it would be in the collective rather than the individuals. And as we come together, we learn from one another. We grow together. We develop one another so that in, in the togetherness and the journey together, we can discover the wisdom and the grace of God that we corporately need to, collab- to, collaborate, to collaborate and collectively see this nation changed under God. And uh, surprisingly, for a nation that had been quite historically divided, when we went around the region and spoke to leaders about this, they all said yes. Uh, so we started with with seven leaders of New Wine Cymru, and now we've got over 700. And we have around about nine regions, all led by leadership teams. But we only do three things. This is what we do. We work together regularly. We have a national team. We have regional teams. We meet together regularly in the regions and across the nation. But we only do three things. Three things. Leadership. We help leaders develop healthy churches to do mission well. 
And the challenge for us is to build a healthy church that is contextually fit for purpose to win our nation and respond to the spiritually open and contextually rewire how we do church and mission so that we are effective. And we say, look, we don't know the answers, but as we journey together, we trust that we'll learn from one another and God will give us the wisdom. So 12 years down the road, uh, we have 700 leaders all meeting in different regional teams. National leadership team work together, and we are seeing more people come to Christ, more churches planted, more churches growing. There's a growing love. There's an amazing sense of unity. Uh, we have some like 24 denominations working together, <laughs> uh, or, or church leaders from different denominations, over 200 churches uh, and their teams and leaders. And we're seeing more people come to Christ and the church is growing and more churches planted. And that's really great. However, we're not a denomination. So we don't have what we would call government over these churches. We have leadership, but we have we don't have government. So it's a little bit like this. When you invite a teacher or a pastor or a speaker to come to your church for a do a church weekend or journey with you for three months to help you as a church grow in a particular area. It might be that's growing healing, it's going to prophetic. Come work with our leadership to shape our leadership, help us uh, develop our vision and our values again, take us into a purpose. Can you help us develop a more effective strategy and you know, you winning the twenties or whatever. And they come in and they work with you out of their experience for a period of time. The local elders are still the local elders. They're just local leaders. They carry the governance. But these ministry gifts come as servants, and you're still drawing from their grace and their wisdom and their impartation. But they are not, and they're bringing leadership, but they're not controlling you. This is how we operate. So leaders are serving churches across the nation. There is Ephesians 4 ministries. But we've decided to take a non-governmental route so we can be servants and give everything we have away to others with an open hand and demand no control. And it works beautifully. That sounds to me like the kind of apostolic network, whether or not it was set up as that, and perhaps that's really your uh, you know, part of your gift to the church. And when I say that, again, I'm going to explain apostolic doesn't mean that you're going to be rewriting any parts of the Bible or writing any Gospels or anything anytime soon, sticking with the ones that God uh, inspired are good enough for us. But at the same time, apostolic in the sense of pushing, uh, making new structures, uh, ways by which the kingdom can grow in different ways and establishing those structures and networks, raising people up, supporting them. Sometimes, though, uh, the, the, these apostolic forms have ended up with people looking to control uh, and to set themselves up as I'm the apostle over X amount of churches, etc. Uh, I know that the, the book that you've written is exploring apostolic for what we could look at now. What, what would you say are the things that we need to be guarded against at the same time? What, perhaps what, what, what have you learned about how this is so necessary, as I believe it is, um, for the next phase of the future church I actually think that God wants to uh, cause the church to be able to uh, 
work together and serve one another and our nation as one church in spirit. So we may have different denominations and different streams, and it's not leaving those. We celebrate those, and we don't want people to leave their denomination because there's such history, and we would be the poor for it. So, so it's not about it's not about that, but it's about coming together with one spirit, recognizing we are one church, and therefore giving honor and value to one another, and learning one another, and serving one another. And Paul, I think, operated in a non-governmental apostolic ministry over the churches he founded, Corinth, Ephesus, Galatia, etc., um, Thessalonica. He was apost- he was governmental. And you read the book of Corinthians when there was a problem, he, he basically said, sort this out or I'll come and do it. You know, he was more governmental than many of us would ever presume to be. Um, but when he went to Rome, it's a church he didn't found. He approached it in a different way he lays out his apostolic criteria. I'm an apostle set apart from birth to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He says, I've been longing to come to you that I may give you a gift and that I may receive a gift back from you that we may be mutually strengthened. So he doesn't come to it with an apostolic stance. He comes to it with a grace stance. So we draw a distinction between governmental apostolic and grace apostolic. And in all government should be graceful, but so we have a grace model that is not governmental. So Paul says there's a mutual there's a mutual reciprocity here. I recognize you have a grace, a gift. I'm going to benefit from that. I have a gift to give to you. Can I come to you that we may both benefit? Can I serve you? And you can receive all of my apostolic wisdom and grace, and I'll receive all that you've got for me, and we may mutually encourage. So I think we are an apostolic movement, but we're not governmental. And because we're not governmental, it's the only way we can have a unity movement. Otherwise, you'd have to leave your denomination to join. Um, we don't plant churches, but we facilitate and encourage the planting of churches. We don't have new wine cumry churches, but we do encourage and facilitate them. We don't ordain, but we do have leaders within the network that are new wine cumry leaders, and they operate as new wine cumry leaders when we are doing new icumry things, but they are not ordained as and when they go back to their Baptist AOG or whatever, they're operating within their sphere. So it create it creates this environment where we can come together as apostolically, which is basically a missional priority, means sent. We can come together with unity, because we're not governmental. You don't have to leave anything to join and we've got no control. It's all permission based. Yet it has structure strategy and leadership within a defined boundary. And so far, it's working and maturing, but it's in its infancy. So, but again, for people listening, just listen to that from seven to 700. To me, these are the, this is the future of apostolic networks. It's about friends on mission. It's about relational. It's about supporting one another it's rejoicing with those who rejoice weeping with those who weep it isn't um necessarily somebody coming in and telling you how you should lead your church it is somebody coming and perhaps offering you know showing you their wounds and uh, the things they've learned the hard way and perhaps you can learn something from them and with them and vice versa and i just say to people who are thinking of um you know what the future church looks like for me this is so key to find people who don't necessarily push themselves in any way upon you 
to come along and say, uh, you know, come underneath my uh, my covering, so to speak. Uh, I'd run a mile from anybody who said that. Uh, but instead, it's people who are saying, um, you know, let, how can I support what you're doing uh, for the Lord, and what you know, what can I do to encourage you, to support you, to help you? And in the end, you're going to see if those people are real that you'll know they're real because they're doing it. They're an apostle if they're apostling, <laughs> uh, and they're doing these kind of things rather than just being some form of title. Yes, and it's about also, as Paul says, uh, I, I'd like to receive some from you. It's about creating the environment where the other ministries and the gifts and the God brilliance upon people can actually find uh, an expression and a platform to to make their contribution to other churches across the nation. So right now we have like we have like ten regions. Some regions we've had to split up into two. Thought we've got ten regions. Now what we just go north, the North Wales boys and girls. They have a different spirituality to the South Wales and the Mid Wales. But we need what they've got. They have something that we don't have. The valleys, guys, those warriors in the valleys, they have something that we don't have. And the West Wales guys, who you go to West Wales to retire, it was a beautiful place, you know. But they have a depth, they have a depth and a beauty of spirit that is. I just love going up there and worshipping with them, and they have something that the rest don't have. But but as we cross-pollinate and co- find coherence and we create a network of that the cargo of God's graces can be deposited to one another, we all grow across the nation as the church in, a, in who we are in Christ, but also in our missional effectiveness. And, and I think when Paul says... Uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers are given to the whole church that we may be equipped. Ultimately, we may enter into the fullness of the full measure of Christ. And these are Christ's delivery system of himself to the church. I I don't think he had um, denominations in mind, like uh, I'm an apostle for AOG, I'm an apostle for Elam. I They were in existence then. He had in mind these there's ministries off to grace the whole church. And whilst we celebrate all the denominations and the tribes, and we say, for goodness sake, don't believe them, because we will be the aura, which have a rich heritage to bring, and, and they are a grace from God to us. But as we create an environment where we can all cross-pollinate and interact and have exposure to the gifts right across the board, the whole church benefits and grows into a maturity of Christ, and as a result, it's mission effectiveness. Amen. I'm going to say amen to most of that. I still think there will be some people who are called to come out of the nominations in the way in the way that things are headed at the moment, and that uh, you know that the, the, if you're in a situation which is restrictive in some way, and you know, I feel I'm still in this odd position personally, where I'm kind of attached to the Anglican Church, and yet they don't pay me, I don't pay them. I always say they don't tell me what to do, I don't tell them what to do. But I think we are in testing times, so I think that, that for some, there will be some people who are, you know, again, and it may not, and it might not be because anybody wants to be. And I really appreciate for some people it's a wrenching time. You know, I'm I often feel years ago before I kind of took a sideways step out of Anglicanism, I had a prophetic word that somebody said you're going to be like Wesley. That and that part of that was that you know he never saw himself as not an Anglican. Um, he didn't want to set up Methodism or anything like that. Those things happened. 
so it isn't from a sense of wanting not to be in unity. It's just at some point uh, one has to look at what's the Lord calling me to. So all of that. Oh, you want to say something? Go, go for it. No, I no, I agree with that. I, the, the, yeah. So I'm. It's it's not either or. There's some caveats to, to what I'm what I'm saying. One hundred percent. Because uh, you know we we can't be locked into serving one system. We all have to be responsive to God. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, nice to know I'm absolutely right. Never know when <laughs> Can you record that? I'm going to play that to my wife. <laughs> Julian said, I'm absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like <laughs> With caveats, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now I can cleverly edit this. Don't you worry. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, looking forward to seeing you. You're going to be uh, our guest at Launch South at Gold Hill Baptist Church on the 2nd of November. Again, anybody who can get to that for a one day, uh, we, we're going to be exploring this and other issues. We're going to be looking at, at networks. We're looking at the kingdom, uh, the king and the kingdom. What's it like for us to, to have a kingdom environment in the organization that we are serving in, church or not? How do we uh, have to see the culture connected to the kingdom and vice versa? And then now we're going to be bringing something around the supernatural. And, um, you know, what does it mean for us to, to make the supernatural our new normal as it should be uh, scripturally on that day? So um, looking forward to you being as, with us that day, Julian, and spending some time with you there. Um, also, I just want to say to anybody else, have a look at launchcatalyst.org. It's going to be north and it's going to be south, and you're really welcome to come and and join us for that um and we just wanted to be be continuing to play our part in perhaps uh, encouraging the church to um to be that church that uh, continues to exalt jesus that continues to to uh, believe that his word is true and can tra- still transform anybody's life for the better and forever and that the best days of the church really can be all ahead of us not just behind us so it's always a, it's been great to connect with you, Julian, and to be encouraged, as I'm sure everybody else will have been listening to this. Can I invite you to pray for us, please? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, to, uh, to. To wrap this up. Unless there's anything specific that you kind of feel like a last word before you say that or or anything like that. I think you've had too many words from me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the depth of your love and your grace, favour, kindness upon our lives pray for Anthony and I pray for Ivy Church and I pray for the Lord's conferences that are coming up and the ones that are going to unfold in future days. I I pray for your grace to be upon them as they're seeking to unite leader to leader and ministry to ministry and church to church, as they're seeking to mend the nets, build the nets, prepare the nets not just for the sake of net mending, but for the sake of a purpose to see a greater a greater catch. And I pray, Lord, that your wisdom and clarity of purpose and not just the the what they should be doing and the why they should do it, but the how. I pray that in these coming days you'll give them an approach and a how that has so much grace upon it that it will win favor with others, that there will be a gravitational pull to walk together in in relationship and in loving unity, but a purpose that is pulsating in heaven and now through the people of God and leaders. 
So, Lord, bless them, I pray, and watch over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's been great to spend the time with you, Julian Richards. Um, do uh, check him out on Facebook and have a look at New Wine Cymru and all the great stuff that they've got planned as well. And as I said before, have a look at launchcatalyst.org if you can possibly join us. If you've been, been encouraged by this podcast, please like it, share it, and uh, subscribe to it. And uh, thank you very much for joining us this time.